name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I begin this morning by asking you a question, and even as I ask you the question, I think I probably know the answer to the question, and, and it's this. Um, do you ever want to duck someone? Um, does that uh, temptation ever arise from you? Perhaps you see clergy, um, and you, you sort of try to slip by without, without seeing them, or, or whoever it might be. We all sort of have perhaps those people, and if not necessarily particular people, particular times when we're, we're just not up for it. Um, it's kind of one of those God love them, but um, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm tired. There's, there's nothing I can do about the situation. I don't have anything else um, to offer. I just want to get home. What, whatever it might be, that temptation can be there for us to uh, duck people at different times and in different places. And sometimes it's, yes, certainly because we're selfish uh, or we're avoiding, and certainly sometimes that's, that's the reason for it. But then also, there is a certain reality to when we, when we interact with other people, when we listen to them, when we care for them, when we engage um, with them, it, it takes something from us. Uh, that's, that's a truth. When we really engage with someone, yes, it can in many ways um, give to us, but it also takes something from us. Uh, and I, as I share all of that with you, I remember um, years ago, one particular occasion when I felt this urge very strongly, and it was when I was at the cathedral in Charleston, and we were in downtown, not too far from Marion Square, and we had sort of a host of regulars that would come by um, the cathedral. And on this particular day, I was somehow as the last one there at the church. Everyone had gone home, and I heard someone um, had walked in, uh, and my office was all the way at the end of the hall next to the diocesan offices. And when I peeked out, I thought, oh no, it's Johnny. Um, and it's one of those, uh, I, I saw him, uh, and I confess, I thought, you know what? Maybe if I'm really quiet, he won't know I'm here. Um, and he'll just, and he'll, and he'll go um, along his way. He was one of the sort of regular characters that stopped, and he always um, said that he was a, a Vietnam veteran, maybe, who knows? He, he always wore camo. Uh, I, can, uh, I can definitely vouch for the fact that he was always dressed in camo. He was a Vietnam veteran, supposedly. I don't know if that was his spiel, his angle, or if that was truth. Uh, and um, he definitely was uh, an alcoholic, and he also definitely um, knew the Lord as well. And he would talk about how he would um, pray to the Father in the name of the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I looked out and I just thought, you know... Uh, uh, do, I, do I have the time? Do I have the energy? And I don't know if it was guilt. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know if there was another force at work. But I walked out and I, and I walked down. I said, you know, hey, Johnny, how are you doing today? What, what can I do for you? And when I, I said that, he began to cry. And I thought, well, now don't I feel like a big heel. Um, so, uh, and, and he began um, to cry, and he, and he rolled up his pants leg, and he, and he showed me his leg, which was extremely um, swollen, which was extremely um, pink, and, you know, not a doctor. I'm like, that doesn't look good. I knew, I knew that much about it. And he began to share how his father had died of a blood clot that had started in his leg and gone to his lungs, and, and he was scared. Uh, he was scared that he was going to, that he was going to die. 
And so we, we prayed, we, we got in my car, we went over to Marion Square and his belongings, he sort of hit, hit away in one of the bushes there in a black trash bag and we got his belongings and I took him to um, the hospital, to the VA hospital. Maybe there was some truth to his story uh, because we did go to the VA and, and, I, and, I, dropped, and I dropped him off there and, and I went home. Uh, and I share all of that with you because, as I say, my desire, my temptation on that particular day was to say, you know what, I, I just don't know that I have the time, I don't know I have the energy, uh, I, wanted, uh, I wanted to duck Johnny on that particular day. And, and thanks be to God, um, truly thanks be to God, I didn't. And I share all of that with you because one of the things that we see in the God lesson placed before us this morning is Jesus being entirely interruptible uh, and Jesus encountering the people that come to him uh, with feelings of tremendous despair. Uh, and Mark chapter 5 has sometimes been called um, the St. Jude chapter of uh, Mark's gospel. St. Jude apparently is the patron saint of lost causes. And in Mark 5 it begins with the Gerasene demoniac. If you remember the story when Jesus and the disciples arrive on the other side of the lake, there's a man there who's despair and whose isolation is such that he had been bound uh, with chains and with fetters for years and he had broken free and he lived um, by himself among the tombs there. Uh, and we hear that when Jesus arrives, he rushes out uh, and calls upon Jesus and falls at Jesus' feet, feet and Jesus drives out um, the demons and the man is restored. And we see in the portion which we read today what is called... A Markin sandwich. I'm not making that up. Um, it's not one you'll find at the deli. But let me say the significance of it. And I promise you it's interesting. Um, so stay with me on that. And what it is, is is this. Sometimes we see in Mark's gospel, there's a story inserted um, into another story. And there's a reason behind that. It's not, uh, John wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't ADD. There's a reason why he inserts a story into another story. And that story in the middle sheds light um, on the whole. It, it helps as a key to understand the whole. It, it draws our attention to what is made known and revealed to us. And as I say, there are a number of things which are revealed to us about um, human need and about the character of God and the wonderful ways in which uh, despair uh, at times can drive us to the one that we need to be driven to. And we see in being driven to Jesus uh, the character of the one um, who receives us. And we also see um, the necessity um, which we have for a relationship with him, the necessity we have um, for faith in him. And we begin by seeing Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue there in that particular place. So he was a man of, of some note and some prominence, but we see all of that is swept aside as he comes to Jesus with a sense of tremendous need and with a sense of despair. All of that means um, very little. His daughter is dying, and in the original language, basically what it says is she was on death's door. Uh, and so you can imagine um, the despair um, he felt. You can imagine the sense of urgency with which he approached Jesus, asking Jesus um, to do something with some faith that perhaps Jesus could, in fact, intervene, that Jesus could restore um, his daughter. I was visiting 
with a friend recently, just had um, her first child, and, and she said words that, that many um, first-time parents say. She says, you know, it's, it's like a piece of my heart uh, is outside of me uh, now, and I'm, and I'm sitting and looking at, at, at a living um, piece of my heart, and I, and I readily understand that. A, a buddy of mine, Alan, and I, would, when talking about our kids, we, we say, you know what, um, oftentimes um, we love them so much that it hurts. Um, just that, that, that tremendous, um, you know, you always love them, you often like them, um, but it is very much a, a piece uh, of your heart that's, that's out there and that's, and that's walking around. And, and here is Jairus and his daughter, and as I say, imagine the despair he must feel um, that she is at death's door. Uh, and like, you don't have to be a parent. Uh, anyone who loves um, someone deeply, who cares for someone deeply, and you see that person um, in need and you want to do something about it. Uh, and, and you long and you reach out to anyone that might be able to do something about it. And so we see that he comes to Jesus and Jesus, uh, again, wonderfully interruptible. He stops. He responds um, to Jairus. They begin to go um, toward his daughter. And then, of course, the, the story sort of takes a turn as we hear that there is a woman who's had a hemorrhage for 12 years. Uh, and again, imagine, uh, imagine the, the difficulty and the trial of that. Imagine the despair and the isolation that may come um, as a result of that. As you've probably heard before, in that time and that place, there are all sorts of uh, ritual purity laws. And, and it would be bad enough um, to have hemorrhage um, for 12 years. And, and how easily, uh, month after month and year after year, you could just slide into this place of despair. You know what? Uh, this is awful and it's never going to be any different. Uh, this is terrible. This is my lot. This is, this is my life. Uh, this is what I have to deal with um, day after day. Uh, and not only would there be that, but because of the various ritual purity laws, she would be considered unclean, which would first further shame her, isolate her. So imagine um, all of that weighing upon her. And it's that despair which drives her with this sort of faith, a, a whole lot uh, sort of, of, of sort of magic and superstition in it as well. If I can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, um, then I'll be healed. And of course, we hear amazingly um, that it works. Uh, she touches the hem of Jesus' garment. She is, she feels in her body, she knows um, in her body and in her mind and her spirit that she has been healed, that she's been restored. And of course, uh, Jesus says, who touched me? Uh, and in the gospel, it, it, it preserves the annoyance of the disciples. They're like, who touched you? Um, who didn't? Uh, who didn't touch you? Everyone touched you. Everyone bumped into you. Everyone's been talking to you. Everybody um, wants uh, a piece of you um, right now. How can you begin to say, who touched me? But we see something very interesting going on here. Jesus is, isn't content simply to have power um, go forth from him. And, it, and it, the reason behind it is he desires for her uh, and he desires for you and for me to have so much more not simply to be restored physically um, because of course that can uh, be here one moment and gone the next but to be restored spiritually uh, to be given the fullness of life which is found only in relationship with Jesus Christ Jesus doesn't simply give to her a physical healing he's not content until he has an encounter with her until there is a relationship between the two of them because, of course, the reality for her is the same reality for you and for me. We need a whole lot more than to know about Jesus. 
We need a whole lot more than just to kind of be around Jesus. Uh, we need very definitely um, that relationship with him uh, that's lived out and personified in, in our faith. As, as imperfect and as flawed as it always is, we deeply, desperately need um, and long for that. And this story, which is inserted in here, will then shed light uh, on Jairus' need um, for faith, which we'll see in just a moment, because uh, the people come and imagine, uh, I, I can imagine the anxiety uh, of Jairus, my anxiety, if I'm thinking, you know what, uh, I really care about this woman, but it's been 12 years. Um, maybe it can wait um, just, just an hour or so so we can go see my daughter, and then she can come with us, or we can come um, right back. Imagine um, his fear and his anxiety as Jesus um, stops and is not content to move on until this encounter takes place. And one of the things we see, which is so true in our lives, is uh, you can't rush Jesus. You can't put, we can't put Jesus on our timetable. Uh, and uh, good heavens, who among us doesn't want to rush Jesus? Who among us doesn't want to put Jesus um, on our timetable? But the reality is, is he will accomplish his purposes. He does know and understand better than we know. Uh, he is carrying out um, the fulfillment. He is um, trustworthy. And sometimes we understand that timing. And other times it's exasperating. Uh, but the reality is it's bad. Uh, and we see Jairus um, torn, I would imagine, by that. And then those horrible words which come, don't bother him anymore, your daughter's dead. Uh, that's it. There's the finality of it. You know, you, you had a hope. There was a glimmer. Um, but now it's been taking away and the despair uh, and the cynicism and everything else uh, now rules uh, there was a chance. But it's gone now. Uh, and so is your daughter. And Jesus, of course, turns uh, and he looks to Jairus and he says, you know what, don't be fearful, uh, but believe. Uh, do not be fearful, uh, but be faithful. And we hear that they go to his daughter. The cynics uh, greet Jesus and the others. They, they laugh at him when he says um, that she's just sleeping. And it's kind of one of those, they're right, uh, and Jesus is right. And what do I mean by that? They are right. Um, she is um, dead. But where they were wrong is this. With Jesus there, with Jesus around, uh, she is just sleeping. Because none other than the Holy One, uh, none other than God in the very midst of us is in the presence of them. None other than the one at whose very word, um, all of those circumstances, all of those despairs, all of those cynicisms, all the things which trap and bind them, which trap and bind you and me can be changed and restored in an instant because he has, in fact, the power um, to do just that. Uh, and of course, we see that he does. He says, little girl, uh, I tell you, get up. He takes her um, by the hand. And of course, we hear that immediately that she's restored. He says, give her something to eat. Her, her life, her vitality is restored and something is revealed to Jairus. Something is revealed um, to you and to me as well. As I share all of that with you this morning, let, let me ask you more pointedly, what are the despairs and the cynicisms of your life? What are the situations in your life where you feel, you know what, this, I'm, I'm just trapped. Um, this is what it is, and this is the way that it's going to be, uh, and, and I wish it were different, but it's not. So I have no doubt uh, that each of you brings those particular burdens with you this morning. 
uh, and, and the cynicism and, and the hopelessness and the feelings of being stuck and bound can so easily fall upon yours and my lives and can so easily become our sort of disillusioned sense of reality. But what we see this morning, and not just this morning, what's true eternally, uh, is that there is a much greater reality made known to us in the presence of and in the person of Jesus Christ, who's come forth into the world, who willingly allowed himself to be interrupted, who willingly made himself poor, um, that he might come to us, that you and I might be made rich um, in him. He came forth that you and I might be delivered. And what I hope that you'll see in this gospel lesson this morning there's a transference which takes place uh, with both um, the little girl and also the woman with the hemorrhage. That which had them bound, that um, which had them dead, uh, that which had them separated and isolated and unclean and cut off, all of that uh, was taken from them by Jesus. Uh, that was transferred from them to him. And in place of that, transferred to them was nothing less than the life of God and the wholeness of God made full in their lives. And so as we gather and worship this morning, I invite you, uh, just as I invite myself, uh, realizing uh, the areas of our hopelessness and our cynicism and our despair to bring those unto the Lord of heaven and earth who's come forth into the world that we might be drawn to him, that we might know the wholeness, uh, the fullness of life made available in him. And as we hear that this day, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, confess to you the things which um, bind us in, in fear and in isolation and in, in despair. Uh, the ways in which uh, our enemy desires to rob uh, our hope and the fullness of life found in you. Lord Jesus, as you have drawn near to us by the work of your Holy Spirit, draw us to you that we might lay those burdens down at your feet. Uh, and that we might uh, receive from you, uh, through your blood shed for us, through your grace available to us, that fullness and wholeness of life which you desire to make known and available to us. And these things we ask, these things we offer, these things we give thanks for. In your name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.